Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Can I just ask? Shut up, Evan. I'm curious. Could you shut up, Evan? One thing I was thinking about. Shut up, Evan. Evan. So there are some rumors out there. Evan, shut up! Is it okay if I just ask? Shut up, Evan. Okay, but can I just... I didn't even say anything. Hey guys, what's up? It's Evan Ross Katz, and you are listening to Shut Up Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I'm Evan Ross Katz, and today we come to this place to dream. Dream about what, you might ask? We are dreaming about the great Nicole Kidman, who I believe is one of the last great movie stars. It's not to say we aren't going to have any moving forward, but I think you know what I mean. There's just a quality about her, an enigmatic appeal. It's as though she doesn't quite live in the same world that you and I cohabitate. And I think that's a wonderful thing. She makes these films and during the production process, she comes down to earth for a little bit and she sort of uses that time to get a sense of human behavior so that she can mimic it enough for her work. But in her everyday life, That time is not spent here among us. Why should it be? She's Nicole Kidman. Anyway, she's been a topic of conversation. I was going to say for the last two weeks, she's been a topic of conversation throughout much of her career. Um, It makes sense. She is, after all, Nicole Kidman. But it really kind of uh, elevated to a discussion that I wanted to have on the podcast after a page six headline, which read, Nicole Kidman's terrible Vanity Fair cover outfit has fans shocked. The cover has both the words terrible and shocked in quotes, and they probably have it in quotes because I think it's categorically untrue. But let's table set a little bit with the cover in question. So this is part of the Vanity Fair's annual Hollywood issue. They, you know, get a bevy of celebs together and they produce a photo shoot every year, really high res, glossy images that are intended to celebrate the year in movies and the stars that make these movies what they are. Nicole Kidman appears on her cover wearing Mew Mew SS22. Uh, If we're being specific, she's wearing Look 16. I wanted to bring up a quote actually from the review of Mew Mew from Vogue Runway. This is Anders Christian Madsen, and this came out in October 2021. So by today's standards, I mean, we've seen things go faster from from runway to editorial, but Back a few years ago, this would be considered a relative quick turn. So the quote reads, midriffs were elongated to a degree that would have made Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears, and Christina Aguilera collectively blush in the early 2000s. 
if, of course, the very sight of these low-riding baggy trousers wouldn't have made them faint first. In the process, miniskirts migrated into top territory and morphed into belted bandoots, and someone came to work in just a beige bra and a matching pencil skirt, the elastic band of her underwear poking out. All this, mind you, in the fabrics of a businesswoman's wardrobe. First of all, listening Jessica Simpson ahead of Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera is certainly quite interesting. I think what got people talking about this look was seeing Nicole uh, and her bare midriff on the cover of a magazine in 2022. Is sexism alive? Absolutely. Is ageism alive? Absolutely. And not for nothing, this Mew Mew miniskirt set, of which there are multiple interpretations and versions within the collection, has really been making the rounds. I mean, we saw it photographed on Zendaya uh, for her recent editorial in Interview Magazine. Paloma El Cesar recently wore it on the cover of ID. Um, we've seen Sweetie in it. I mean, we've seen Lara Stone just in uh, editorial for Vogue. I believe it was Vogue Scandinavia. I could be wrong. Um, it's popping up everywhere. It was Vogue Czechoslovakia, excuse me. Needless to say, this look is ever-present. I actually wanted to highlight, though, my favorite iteration of the look we've seen actually happened uh, in Dazed Korea on model Yugo Takano, um, who actually wore a version of it and looked quite fabulous. I mean, basically, if you have abs um, and put this on, it's going to look good because it's basically a showcase for abs, and abs are good. Abs are good. Not having abs, also good, you know? Beauty is everywhere. But people seem to feel a certain type of way about it. Both the Nicole Kidman cover and the, the Mew Mew looks that are making the rounds. I mean, there is a, uh, a tweet that was going around that I found very amusing that read, that Mew Mew skirt set being passed around like a blunt. And it's true. I mean, like people be wearing it because it's provocative and it gets people talking. I think what is so interesting about this moment and what excites me about it and makes it such a topic of conversation for, for me right now and for so many is the idea that people are talking about fashion. Like, um, you know, you think about JLo's Versace dress, which I think for any of you that sort of live in the fashion world, know is kind of like a non-starter of a conversation at this point and, and, and has been for many years, despite Jennifer's effort to keep it in the zeitgeist. But it cannot be denied the impact that that dress had at the time, sure, and then also just the everlasting interest. And we've seen this happen before, you know? I mean, I think about other Versace moments, for instance, on Elizabeth Hurley. And we get these moments periodically, right? And that's the great thing about fashion. There's a reason why Gaga's meat dress is something that still gets discussed and dissected today. And what I think makes this moment so exciting, whether you like it or don't like it, both of which feelings are valid and also don't matter, What's exciting about it from my perspective is that people who don't regularly engage with conversations around fashion are doing just that. And like I said, ageism and sexism is an aspect of this conversation, but it's an interesting conversation to continue to have, to really ask those who have such a repulsed response to this cover what it is about this cover that makes them feel that way. And sometimes the misogyny and ageism is going to come out in that response, but what an interesting dialogue we can continue to have, right? Or we can begin to have rather. I mean, 
when we start having these conversations and talk about why it is people have the response to certain images that they have, we can begin to unpack sort of the deep-seated feelings that people carry or the ingrained ways in which concepts like misogyny and ageism are a part of our society and perpetuated by some of us, even without the intention to do so. Do I love this Nicole Kidman cover? To be honest with you, I do. I love it. I keep revisiting it. I keep thinking about it. And to a lot of people out there, myself included, who have made comments about sort of the, um, the CGI of it all, or, you know, the, uh, the photoshoppery. Yeah, great. And cool. I, I, I guess what I question is people's this belief that some people hold that photography is meant to capture the real. I feel like that is a contract that is only signed by one party, that being some people seeing these images and not by those photographing it and not by the models in front of the camera. I don't think there's any obligation that photography in general, let alone fashion photography has to show you the real. It also sort of makes that out to be the intention and that this photo sort of failed in its intention. But to me, it's like, well, that interpretation is misunderstanding the assignment completely. So one of the things I did because I was feeling excited and energized by this look, I think that's the feeling that I can take away from it the most. Uh, even though I do like the look, the liking of it, I'm really not so interested in, but the energy that I feel, even in talking to you about it right now, I'm, I'm getting amped up once again, because I'm excited by this look. I'm excited by the conversation of fashion. I think the whole reason why I am in this industry and sort of exist at this intersection of fashion and entertainment is for moments like this. And I'm happy for Mew Mew. I, you know, there's a joke kind of within the fashion world right now, kind of joking about the fact that like, oh, we're exhausted by how much we're seeing that Mew Mew. But again, I think exhausted is a fun emotion to sort of I was gonna say grapple, we're not grappling with exhaustion, but it's a fun emotion to have in the world of fashion, just as excitement and energy, energetic, all of these things that so many of us are feeling, it's exciting that we're having a reaction, that we're not numb to this. I think that that keeps me wanting to stay engaged in this fashion world. So I put a call out on Instagram asking for people's responses. And I really wanted it formatted in a certain way because I really, I'm very structure um, oriented. So I asked people to say their name, where they're from, and one sentence about the look with their feelings about it. And in the beginning, I started to get a lot of voice memos of which I'm so grateful. I listened to every single one, every single one. But after a while it became, a lot of them were unusable in that they were long-winded, which I get, I'm being long-winded right now. So believe me, I get it. But I felt like in order to showcase these as part of the up top here on the podcast, I was like, we need these to be pithier. So I put the pitch back out. I asked for the name, where you're from, and to try to get it under 15 seconds. And so many of you felt so passionately about this look. And that makes me so happy. It makes me so happy about fashion. It makes me so happy about this podcast and about the Instagram extension of the podcast. So I, I wanna thank you all, those of you who messaged me, whether it be privately or those who you're going to hear in a moment for expressing your thoughts. And with such exuberance, I think that I am delighted to have an audience of people who care about these seemingly inconsequential things as much as I do. I love to care about the inconsequential. It is a life force for me. 
It's what I've always done. And, 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 and I am blown away by hearing from so many of you. Some of you out there might also be podcasters or might have experience in creating and, and putting things out into the world, but a podcast is mostly made in silo. I get feedback from some people, um, but I don't really know, you know who's listening at any given moment. And to hear so many of your voices and to hear from all parts of the world where you come from and that you're engaged with me in this conversation, it's so deeply meaningful. I really enjoyed getting to hear from you all. And on the other side of this as well, I'm currently uh, promoting the pre-orders for my book, Into Every Generation, A Slayer is Born, which is dropping March 15th, March 15th. You can pre-order through the link in my Instagram bio. But part of that process um, sort of spawned from the Nicole of it all. I put a, an ask out saying, you know, if you send me the receipt from your pre-order, I will record you a voice memo. Thank you. And so many of you did. So many of you who give a fuck about Buffy and me and me talking about Buffy. And it, I'm floored by it. I do not take for granted such generosity and the fact that people want to hear from me. And it was just so delightful. I mean, like I got messages from people being like, can you record? I bought this for my friend. It's her birthday. Can you record a message? And yes, yes, I can. And yes, I have time. I was so delighted to have so many of those to record because it means that you all are listening. And that is a cool thing. And it's not something I spend a ton of time thinking about because, you know, who wants to spend time thinking about themselves when there's so many other exciting things to think about like Nicole Kidman and Miu Miu SS22 on the cover of Vanity Fair, wearing look 16, photographed by Maurizio Catalan and Pier Paolo Ferrari, styled by Katie Grant. Why should we be talking about me at a time like this? You know, you understand. So without any further ado, I want to cut to a, a little uh, montage I made of a handful of my favorites. There were so many. Please understand, I could not air them all, but I will put another call out at some point soon for more of this. And I thank each and every person that called. And uh, yeah, but take a listen to some of my favorite voice memos that I received in response to this Nicole Kidman internet breaking moment, if you will. Podcast breaking for sure. Hello there, Anil here uh, from Bosnia. About the photo, well, it's really giving, bitch, you better be joking. Hi, Evan. This is Elise from Melbourne, Australia. I think that Nicole looks so hot and any fans that think she looks terrible are jealous that they don't look like her. Love your work and love following you. Thanks. This is a voice note regarding this story. Uh, my name is Nishita. I am from India. I'm 26, 25 years old. Um... When I tell you that I saw this cover and I gasped, it is so fucking stunning. I literally gasped and shared it with like 15 people. Um, I think it's just iconic. It's giving eyes wide shut but in a euphoria era, if that makes sense. I don't know. Hi, Pascal from Paris. Nicole gave me Britney vibe. She can twirl, twirl, twirl and walk, bitch. Hi, this is Ennis from Turkey. I simply don't care about the outfit. The face is for the gods, honey. Hello, this is Jacob from Vienna. I think that she looks incredible. 
She's giving Johan face, Alex McCord realness. She just escaped Scary Island and she is living. I love it. And yes, work. Hi, Robert, Indonesia. It's a no for me dog. Hi, this is Lady from Lagos, Nigeria. Nicole Kidman is just reminding us that she contains multitudes. She is a leading lady and a bad bitch. Hi, this is Philip from Croatia and she looks like she's looking camp right in the eye. Hi, Lewis. Uh, I'm in England. Um, simply stomp on my neck. Hi, my name is Kinda from Lebanon and to be honest, that outfit was not it. It was sickening and not the Laganja sickening. Like, girl, come on. Like, no mama, no. <laughs> I don't like it. Hi, this is Valdemar from Iceland, and I think the Nicole Kidman Vanity Fair cover is absolutely iconic imagery akin to the Grace Jones Island Life album cover. It's amazing. I'm Carolina from Mexico City, and I don't know what the fuck she's saying, but girl, I am living. I'm Cam from New Zealand, uh, as per our mum's VF cover. You know she's always here to change the game, but that doesn't mean she's always here to win it. My name is Rick and I'm from Manila. Nicole Kidman brings a fantasy right to your gate, so to speak. And those who get it, get it. And those who don't, just don't. Luisa, Sweden. Tom Cruise could never. Eleanor, Toronto. You better work, cover girl, work it girl, give it a twirl, do your thing on that Vanity Fair cover. Hey Evan, my name's Tim and I'm from Australia. I really love this shot and I think the creative direction's great. I'm obsessed with the Mew Mew. And I think that if this was a man who was 54 years old um, showing off his amazing body, then we wouldn't even be having this discussion. So for me, any opposition to this photo feels deeply rooted in misogyny. Bye. Hi, even I'm Ingrid from Vancouver. And the only thing I have to say about this is in Violet Charge Cape voice. Uh, no. No. Good morning, Emma, Denver. As a gay, absolutely love it. Um, also, as a gay, kind of makes me mad that she's not a lesbian. James, UK. I don't necessarily get it, but I like it. Luke from Johannesburg, South Africa. Nicole's Vanity Fair promo is giving serious nft vibes and it is absolutely bizarro love you evan this is rachel in portland and nicole kidman is straight goddess level but i am not loving the mew mew with the pearly gates it feels like a really slutty extra from cruel intentions like stumbled across the schmigadoon set what is going on okay i'm bemi i'm from nigeria i'm drunk but i think she looks hot yeah. Hi, I'm Leticia. I'm from France. I live in Luxembourg and I think she looks amazing, but the wig keeps bothering me. I'm Fergus. I'm from Glasgow. I currently have COVID and she's posing like the rent is due. Matt, New York. We come to this place for magic. We come to AMC theaters to love to cry, to care. Hey, this is Che Diaz from LA, and I love it. I think she looks great. Work, mama, woke moment. 
Hi, Evan. It's Patricia from Montreal, Canada. I just love you. Have a great day. Patricia, thank you so much. Thank you so much to all of you. My God, I, I still, I'm floored by the response. Now, we've discussed Nicole Kidman, one of the great actresses working today. And in an effort to make some kind of smooth transition, all I can think of is we're going from one great actress to another great actress. And this is one that I've wanted to have on the podcast for so long. I was nervous to make the ask because her and I back and forth quite a bit through voice memo on Instagram about The Real Housewives. But there's always that moment sometimes with a person when it goes from like fun banter to like, I've got a request for you. And it's kind of like business oriented. And you just never know if the person's going to be like, hmm. Especially because I know it can be hard to say no to people, even though you want to. I don't know. I don't always like blurring those lines. Needless to say, she accommodated me um, so generously with her time. And I'm excited for you all to join me uh, with our guest today, the great Sarah Paulson. Shut up, Evan. She is an Emmy and Golden Globe award-winning actress and was listed as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2017, which, okay, work. Her credits are vast, so I'm going to take a deep breath here. She has appeared on Broadway in The Sisters Rosenzweig, The Glass Menagerie opposite Jessica Lange, and in Collected Stories. Her film work includes Gary Marshall's The Other Sister, What Women Want, Down With Love, Frank Miller's The Spirit, Martha Marcy May Marlene, Mud, Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave, Todd Haynes's Carol, The Post, Ocean's Eight, Bird Box, M. Night Shyamalan's Glass, The Goldfinch, and Run. Her television roles include American Gothic, Jack and Jill, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, Feud, Betty and Joan, Mrs. America, and Ratchet. She also received critical acclaim as well as an Emmy nomination for her role as Nicole Wallace in HBO's Game Change. But she is perhaps best known for her role on American Horror Story, of which she has appeared in nine of the show's 10 seasons, and for her roles as Marsha Clark in The People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story, and as Linda Tripp in Impeachment, American Crime Story. The former earned her both an Emmy and a Golden Globe. Relevant to us, she was ranked as one of the best-dressed women by Netta Porte in 2018, a title I feel she should hold in perpetuity. Kirsten Dunst recently described her as so kind and so funny in a profile for the Los Angeles Times, as I often find myself saying, yes, Kirsten Dunst, yes. So please join me in welcoming the so kind, so funny, and might I add, so fabulous, Sarah Paulson. Shut up, Evan. Hi, what a delight, Hi. SCP. That's me. Major. Not SAP, but SCP. Yeah. You, but you, uh, probably but, hard for you to have as much affection for me as you might have for her, but that's okay. I'll take what I can get. No, I would say like of the important women in my life, they're all Sarah. It's like Sarah Michelle Geller, Sarah Jessica Parker, Sarah Catherine Paulson, all three Sarahs. It's important. I like it. I'll take it. I'll okay. Take I want to jump right in because I have a lot to talk to you about, but I want to start in the most random way possible by asking you about one of my favorite films, Down With Love, which you co-starred in in 2003 opposite Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor. 
It was one of your earliest film roles. And I just want to get your thoughts on Here's to Love. It's an original song from the movie sung by Zellweger and McGregor that I consider one of the great bops of the 21st century. Barbara, I'd like to propose a toast to the topic I dig the most. Can't let me dust off my loving cup. Hey, bartender, fill her up. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, I haven't heard that song in a very long time, but uh, I think of that movie with nothing but affection and also like that what comes smashing right into the thought uh, with it for me is how exciting and sort of uh, I thought even though it was a, a retro inspired movie was sort of ahead of its time in terms I feel like the world was not quite ready for that movie and of course it was um, released I think uh, the same weekend as the sequel to The Matrix. So it was like a thought of his counter-programming and it was really just <laughs> not counter-programming because yeah. it, was not, uh, it was not widely watched, but it's something I'm very proud to be a part of and this was very exciting to do. Holds up terrifically, really great film, exquisite costuming. I mean, everything, just that movie visually, it's quite sumptuous. Um, so highly recommend. If you get a chance, go back and check that song out. I really, really do love that song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like those bizarre harmonies, but mind you, this was right right after Renee had done Chicago. So it was like, if and we have- And Moulin Rouge. Right, so, so it's like, you gotta have them sing. Speaking of which, are we ever going to get Sarah Paulson in a musical? No, sir. You don't <laughs> want it. You don't want it. I, uh, Amanda Peet, who was my best friend, we were uh, asked to do carpool karaoke recently. And I was like, you know, this could be such a disaster because she can really sing. She's great pitch. I have to drive because that's how it is in our uh, friendship and our relationship is I've always been driving for the last 25 years. That's just how it goes. So we'll crash the car because I'll start laughing and she'll just be horrified at the sound that comes out of it. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to know about it. You don't want to hear it. It's not good. I had to sing once for American Horror Story. I had to work with a vocal coach for a long time, had to come in the booth with me to record to be like, up here, we're up here. And I was like, I mean, it was really quite something, quite something. Okay, so we're not getting Sunday in the Park with George. No, which would, nothing would make me happier. I mean, I love a Sunday musical more than anything in this world. Um, have a lyric tattooed on my on my arm. But, oh wow! But but you're uh, more of like in the audience for said musical. In the audience, weeping, clutching my chest, sobbing. Yeah. Laughing, you know, tapping. I get my toe, it. But you don't want to hear it. You don't. Do you have a favorite Sondheim musical? I love Sunday in the Park with George. I do. I just saw Company. I was in New York right before the um, the Omicron Omicron uh, situation sort of has flooded the town. Um, and I saw the opening, and I thought it was just very special. And Patty Lapone, I bow down. I bow down to Patty. Yeah, she is an important figure both in the canon of theater, but also the canon of civilization. Um, <laughs> I agree with that completely. Just while we are diving back into your career, I want to touch on one of my favorite Sarah Paulson performances. And as it turns out, I am not alone in my love for this role in this television series. So I want to bring in our first special guest, the lovely and talented Mandy Moore. Hi, Sarah and Evan. It's Mandy. So I just have a, a silly burning question, Miss Paulson. I am obsessed with Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. It is where I first came to know your work. 
and was just besotted with you. (laughs) I love that show. I would love to hear any of the origin story, how you first heard about it, how you got cast. Did you love Sorkin? How was it working on the show? Did everybody know what a special thing they were a part of? Um, Did you guys feel the weird competitive edge with 30 Rock? Because I know you guys were sort of pitted against each other. You you both kind of came out at the same time. I mean, obviously, wildly different shows. But um, yeah, I'm just, I I want to know everything and all the things about it, quite frankly. I've made my husband watch it. I think I've seen the series two or three times all the way through. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, I thought it was fantastic and you were fantastic and I'd love to hear all the things about it. So thank you for indulging me. <laughs> She's the world's most darling person, by the way. I mean. Just like a heart of actual gold. Like you'd crack open her chest, there'd be like a pulsing gold nugget of a heart that would be beating there. <laughs> um, well, Mandy, darling Mandy, uh, let me answer some of your burning questions. Uh, first of all, that year, the, sh- the show was originally called Studio 7. And it was changed to Studio 60. And I can't remember what the reason was. There was a good one. We're talking almost 20 years ago, so forgive me. Um, it was the hottest pilot in town. It was the show everybody wanted to be on. Matthew Perry was already cast. Bradley Whitford was not yet cast. I think Amanda Peet, my best friend, who was my best friend prior to this, she figures into this story, um, was cast. Um, and then Bradley Whitford and then so on and so on and so on. But it it was the thing everybody and their mother was auditioning for. Every actress in my age range and above and beyond uh, were, were vying for a role on the show. Um, I auditioned. Uh, my friendship with Amanda did not hurt. And her friendship with Matthew Perry, having done the whole nine yards, did not hurt mm. in the sense that I think it got me past the sort of original... Um, you know, just meeting with the casting directors, I kind of went straight in to read um, for the producers. Um, and, and the main thing was what I was told when I went to audition was, and apparently some of the other actresses were not told this or didn't take it seriously, which is you had to prepare a few impressions because you were supposed to be a, a cast member on the show uh, on the Saturday Night Live type show. So everybody, they would wanted them to have some sort of mimicry skills. And of course my party trick for years Like my drunken party trick was just always to just whip out my impressions at some point, just to try to be, you know, entertaining and impressive to, you know, whomever was around. Um, And so I did my impressions. I brought bobby pins in to do my impression of Juliette Lewis in Cape Fear. Uh, I, you know, I did like a whole thing. And I think it is what it's what I, when I finally went in to read with Matthew Perry, which was the last hoop to jump through. And it was between me and a few other girls. I can tell you off the record, Evan later and Mandy also who the other girl was, who was going to get it. Uh, but I'm not going to share that with the world. Cause that's just not nice to do. Um, Cause I think that was not a great day for that person, even though the show ended up being a, a total bombola, but like, it doesn't, I mean, see, it's still got its fans and you know, I don't want to. She's a two-time know. watcher. She's a two-time watcher, which is like real dedication. It is. Um, I wonder what I would think if I went went back and watched it. I wonder if I would I would agree with Mandy or if I would have notes. Knowing me, I'd probably have notes about mm. my own performance and about everyone else's too. But I did go in an audition and I did my 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 uh, characters and my stuff. And Matthew Perry actually met with me right before he went in because of Amanda. And we sat in his car and we rehearsed a little bit before my final audition. So I did have the proverbial leg up in the sense that I'd already had a little bit of a, of um, engagement with Matthew, which I think helped since our characters were supposed to be 
wildly in love with each other. And did you feel that, I mean, as you mentioned, there was just so much pressure on all of you for the show to be a success. And, you know, Matthew was, I believe, just coming off of Friends, if I remember timeline. Yes, that's exactly right. And Bradley uh, West Wing was still shooting before we talked Yeah, it was right. So did you feel that pressure? And then also just like, you know, there was so much scrutiny around every decision made on that show. And so I'm just wondering if that, you know, caused any sort of uh, second guessing on your part as an actor when you're just trying to go in and do your job, but there's sort of this spotlight on every single aspect of the show that's quite uncommon. I, yes, it was a very expensive show to produce. There were obviously Bradley Whitford and Matthew were coming off two wildly popular shows, critically acclaimed shows, very celebrated shows. Um, and so it, it was self, self-inflicted self pressure, I felt a lot to, you know, uh, at that point I had worked, I had been able to support myself as an actress, but I was not, uh, you know, anybody that if you showed my picture on the corner of Main Street uh, USA, nobody would know who the hell I was. Um, so it was definitely felt like an opportunity for me to prove myself and it felt the stakes were very high because Aaron is obviously uh, an extraordinary writer and is incredibly fastidious about saying every line exactly is written. You cannot make was not into wasn't. If you do, you have to do the take again and say it exactly is written. You know, he comes from a musical theater background and everything has a kind of rhythm to it. And it is your job as the actor to, and some actors are extraordinarily good at it and other people have to work a little harder at it because it's so specific. Um, I was one of those people. Um, but uh, the, the 30 Rock thing was a real, um, you know, if you have a show that I mean, I know that we all, and I can I'll only speak for myself, but I rem- I remember we all sort of felt like we're going to be doing this show for like eight years, and this is going to be on forever. Um, and of course, we were quickly disabused disabused of that thing because I think we did nineteen <laughs> episodes or twenty episodes or something, which was uh, just not what people expected. But the Thirty Rock thing, I remember the the sort of media pitting against uh, you know who's going to what the showdown is going to be, and a lot of people predicted that Studio 60 would come out uh, victorious because of the auspices and all the people involved. Not that Tina Fey didn't have a huge, um, huge auspice (laughs) herself. That's not a word, but you know what I mean? It, um, not the correct use of the word, but uh, you know, I I didn't know what was gonna happen, but obviously we, we know what happened. Studio 60 did not survive. We do, but how funny, because it's like those shows, I understand why the comparisons happen, but tonally they're like just on completely separate stratospheres. It's just so strange that they would, I mean, not so strange. I understand why they did it, but just sort of, sort of an odd comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go back a bit to your early life, born in Tampa, Florida. Your parents uh, divorced a few years later. And at five, your mom moves you and your siblings to New York city. She's 27 knows no one. And for a period you lived in Queens on a mattress on the floor before eventually relocating to West 11th street before it was the glammed up West village of today. What was that period like for you? And do I have my facts correct? Did I miss something? No, those are completely, completely accurate. Well, well researched, Evan Roskatz. Thank you. Um, yeah. Do you know Tim Stack, by the way? Do you know Tim Stack? Yeah. He lives in my apartment, the apartment I lived in on 11th Street. Oh, how Isn't funny. Yeah. It's really weird. Um, we one time went through a little description of what was still there and what wasn't. It was really wild. Uh, what do I remember about that time? I mean, it's obviously when you look back at your youth, particularly uh, if you're lucky enough to grow up in New York City, I think there's a kind of romanticization that can happen um, about some of the, you know, cold wintry nights, you know, skipping down the street in the West Village, um, which which are memories I do have. Um, and it was a kind of 
magical, magical place to grow up. How old are you, Evan? Do you I'm 32. Oh, so you don't remember the purple feet in, in West Village? That there, have you ever, there were purple feet that were like um, uh, stamped on the ground in the West Village. You know where the McDonald's is uh, or used to be? I don't know what's there now. What's across from the, I, now the IFC theater there? There's a little, there was a little playground. On 6th Avenue. Yeah, the McDonald's uh, is still there. Okay, so that's a playground I used to play in. There's a, there was a playground I used mm. to play there. And on the way uh, to that, to that place, there were these like purple stamp feet. And if you're a certain age, you will know what the, that you'll remember. And I remember Googling it. And I think there was an artist who did it, who did this. Um, but it's a, it's a really indelible um, thing in my child. Of course, no one will be interested in it because nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking about. But some, some rando listener out there will be like, I remember the purple feet. <laughs> yeah. For you, sir, you're welcome. Hmm. Um, I don't know why I decided it was a man. Um, but I remember it being a very, you know, I went to PS 41. I went to St. Luke's all in that, in that neighborhood in, in the West village. And I don't remember much about it, except for that. When I look back, I think how lucky I was to have grown up there. And, you know, it's where I knew I wanted to become an actress. And I was obviously in an environment where I remember my mom, you know, walking me around Times Square and, and being aware that, you know, the lights and the, um, marquees where people were in those little boxes with seats in them you know acting performing and um so I remember it being a very um stimulating place to be as a mm. young person really do you remember your first uh live theatrical experience as an audience member yeah as an audience member um I feel like I will conflate a couple of them but one of them was I saw Karen Allen do the miracle worker downtown uh, with my mother, I saw Molly Ringwald do a play called Lily Dale that was a Horton Foot play. And I remember seeing Janet McTeer in a doll's house on Broadway. And wow. It, yeah, it was a, it was a, 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 all three of them I remember. And I was varying ages, but it was like the thing my mother would do for me for my birthday present, which was mm. you know, right before Christmas, where she would take me to see a Broadway or off Broadway show. Wow, that's incredible. Now you continue to visit your dad in Florida. And I'm just wondering what it was like going from Tampa to New York City. I just feel like that. Uh, I can't think of a more stark contrast in terms of places to grow up. And so what was it like, you know, not commuting, but going back and forth between the two places? We spent the summer, my sister Elizabeth and I spent the summer, uh, summers with my father uh, in Tampa. And it was always kind of delightful. You know, the thing is, when I, uh, I had lived in Florida, off and on, and we lived for a year in Maine as well with my grandparents. I just burped. Um, but <laughs> leave that in. This is real life, folks. Um, uh, we. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, so I lived with my. I lived with my father for my fourth grade year in Florida, and when I moved back to New York to live with my mother, um, I remember. I remember touring PS twenty nine where I was going to go to fifth grade, and there were all of these girls smoking in the bathroom, smoking cigarettes. And I just was wearing Oshkosh Bagash overalls. I had those, you're not gonna remember this either, but some, some sweet gal will, uh, these charm necklaces that you could clip like record, like a little plastic record player, a little baby bottle, a little, it was like a whole thing. I had these like very girly, young kind of child, like a little bit, you know, under my age group, I think. Um, or just the girls in New York were moving at a much sort of faster pace than I was. And so I remember coming home to my mother and just 
sobbing and saying, please, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to that school. I don't want to, I don't, I don't feel ready. And so she kept me back. I stayed back a year. I went to the fourth grade instead of the fifth grade. So my December birthday always made me traditionally the youngest in every class prior to that. But when I switched and, and stayed back here, I always was the oldest. Um, so, so the, the difference for me um, from Florida to New York was mostly that I felt more myself, I think, in Florida, where it was everything moved at a at a, uh, a just a different pace, and I felt just a little younger than some of these these kids who had grown up in New York since they were since they were born. And so I was shy, and I was a little nervous, and uh, a little unsure of myself. Uh, and partly because we moved around so much that I was constantly, I think, changing my personality to fit the circumstances, mm. which of course was a wonderful breeding ground for for becoming an actor or just a great liar one or the other or one in the same or one in the same before we continue let's take a break and check in with today's sponsors if you were to look in my fridge right now beneath the shelf of topo chico you would find cases of can these are my currently in rotation batch as i keep party packs stowed away as well so what is can can is a social tonic microdose with cannabis that gives you a light and uplifted buzz but with no hangover fewer empty calories, all natural ingredients, and no regrets. Best of all, it tastes fucking good. So sure, I drink it for the THC CBD effects, but I also just enjoy it as a refreshment du jour. Blood orange cardamom is my favorite, but the grapefruit rosemary also slaps. For more information, including where to find it at your local dispensary and delivery options, follow at drinkcan with two N's or head to drinkcan.com. That's D-R-I-N-K-C-A-N-N.com. And we're back. I believe that you went to LaGuardia High School at one point. Um, as you know, I'm a big fan of Sarah Michelle Gellar's. And as yeah. it turns out, the two of you actually went to the same high school. And as such, I felt it was important that we get her in the mix today. So I asked one Sarah to ask another Sarah a question. Hi, Sarah. It's Sarah Michelle. So I have two questions. First of all, why just Sarah Paulson? I mean, what's wrong with Sarah Catherine Paulson? Don't you want to be in the three name Sarah Club? So that's my first question. And my second question, I heard a rumor that you're very good at impressions and I think you should do some of them. Wow. <laughs> Which is funny because you were just speaking about this. I was speaking about them. It's so funny, but did Sarah Michelle Geller not mention to you that we worked together? We did a pilot that never got picked up. We worked together. Oh, wait, can you illuminate? Yeah. We did work together. Um, we did a pilot. What was it called? She'll know, because she's got one of those brains where she probably remembers everything. We did a pilot together. Yeah. Was Can this like know? in the WB days or like? No, this was after that. Oh, wow. Can't remember who. I'm curious. It. Wait, was this for HBO? Yes. Yes. Was this we The Wonderful called... Maladies? Yes. I was in, yes. I'm furious right now. Not at you. I wanted that show so bad. So I was doing it too. And we, and then it didn't. But so we actually had a. Yeah, but I don't really, did we have any scenes together in the first episode? I don't know because we didn't make it. So right. Was, what could have been, what could have been is a lot more Sarah, Sarah content for you. Right. Okay. So why not Sarah Catherine Paulson? Um, it never occurred to me. I don't know. <laughs> it never occurred to me to be a three namer. Uh, also feels like a, a mouthful. In a different yeah. way that Paulson is also long and as Catherine, Sarah Michelle Geller is short. Sarah Jessica Parker is a little shorter. There's a K and there's a constant. I feel like I have. Sarah Catherine, and it's with a T H A R I, Catherine mm -hmm. Paulson. It just it feels a little clunky. Fair enough. 
It's it's long. It's long on my Instagram. I was going to say, because it's, it's present on the Instagram. That's why I sort of refer to you as SCP. And I think that's informed. I mean, I like calling SMG, SJP, SCP. Um, but I think people it's informed by your Instagram. People call me SP and people call me, you know, there's some people in the world where they are last name referred to kind of mm-hmm. almost like almost everyone in my life calls me Paulson. Mm. It makes sense. You have a Paulson presence about you. Yeah. And as, as we're talking about, there's a ubiquity of Sarah. So Paulson is kind of distinguished. Thank you. Like Sarah Michelle and Sarah Jessica goes by Sarah Jessica, right? They're not Sarah's. They're Sarah Jessica and Sarah Michelle, or are they? No, Sarah Michelle is Sarah and Sarah Jessica is SJ. In yeah. her world of people. You know. In her world of world of people, of which I am like of a very distant, like in the orbit, very, very far SJ. back. SJ. SJ. Yeah. And, and this yeah. is Sarah Michelle. Yeah. Or SMG, SMP, but you're Paulson. Okay, but going back to her question, uh, the impressions, which you mentioned earlier, Cape Fear. Um, <laughs> are there any we can pull out of you right now? I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, I mean, I don't not want to. I can do my dolphin. I do an impression of a dolphin. <clears throat> Let's see if the if the chords are responding. <laughs> it's not working today. My dogs are my dogs are looking at me like, what are you doing? Like a dolphin. Okay, yeah, I got a dolphin. I definitely got oh, a dolphin from like that. It. Evan doesn't like it, but my no, dog- no, no, I like it. I like it. I'm no, I did it like- the other night, and it was it was the best it had been in a long time, but. Not sometimes I think I get performance anxiety. Um, any um, like actors we could, we could um, I can do I like to do my Kathleen Turner, which is something like this. And it depends on how heaven, how I is Kathleen. That's pretty good. That is really good. Okay. <laughs> I won't ask for any more, but like, oh okay, without asking you to do it though, is there another one that you think that you do really well? So I'm not putting you on the spot to do it, but like, you know, you mentioned this is sort of a party trick. It is a party trick, but you know, once I started doing them for real and, and getting paid to do them, I stopped, you know, I don't have any new, um, I do a really good um, Holly Hunter too, I think. I mean, wow. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Okay, that was the best one by far. Um, I wanna talk about Ocean's 8, but in particular, I wanna talk about the premiere, the neon green Prada. Um, you have a lot of great fashions. You are an absolute total fashion star, but of all of your looks, I always come back to that neon green Prada. And I'm just wondering, I know you work very closely with your stylist and I'm wondering if you could talk sort of about um, bringing that look to life and how you felt getting to wear. I mean, we, we heart Prada over here, but we don't often see a look of that. It's a very loud look for Prada and as it should be. And uh, I don't know, I just think about that dress all the time. Yeah, I remember Sandra Bullock being like, you know, you showed up to the premiere dressed like a highlighter. And I was like, I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> I sure did. And I'm here for it. Um, that is probably the fav- my favorite dress I've ever worn, probably because it is so bold uh, and the material is so out of this world. It's otherworldly. Uh, and yet the fit was so lovely, but it took, it took a, a little bit to get the fit right on that dress. Because I remember when Carla Welsh texted me saying, you, you have to, I, I found a dress that you, it's your Ocean's 8 premiere dress. You have to wear it. And when we first took it out of the box, it was like, I, I don't, all the little um, plastic, what would they be called? Like, I don't even know what they were. Like, oh, yeah. There was a paillette, but it was like a long paillette. It oh. wasn't a traditional circle paillette. There were circle paillettes on my green Emmy Prada dress that I wore that oh. year. That dress had circle paillettes and that everyone uh, throughout the night would come up to me and be like, look, your dress fell off. I've got a pee. And it's like the guys would put it in their, in their, in their pocket. It was kind of cool. Um, I love leaving like trails of 
my friend Jason Butler Harner for my birthday one year put a piece of Armani Privé dress I wore to the Emmys, like this purple netting that Joan Rivers made fun of that I still feel such a badge of honor about. Uh, a piece of it came off one night and he saved it and he put it in like a, a lucite box and it's this Armani netting with these red dots, very beautiful and it's in my closet and it kind of, it doesn't have a light under it or anything, but it should. Um, so I love dresses that sort of, you know, leave little memories behind when mm. you're red carpet, it's kind of cool. Um, Anyway, I digress. Long paillettes, as Evan said. When you first put them out of the box, they were pointing in all these different directions. And it's like, you know, you had to kind of like comb it down like a like like the Grinch's fur or something. You just had to like put it down. Um, and we had to affect where the waist was sitting. It was much lower originally. We had to lift it. But it was just the coolest dress. And we did one fitting here in L.A. And then when I went to the Met Ball that year, I was going with Prada as well. And so I was going to have a fitting with Mrs. Prada, which doesn't always happen. I have done a couple of, I've gone to the Met Ball with Prada a couple of times. She has not always been there, but she was there for this one. And, and was uh, it was the year I wore, oh, it was so beautiful. Um, can't remember what the theme was, but it was that sort of heavenly, heavenly- Oh, heavenly body. bodies. Heavenly body. Um, it's beautiful. Like, <clears throat> tool bow on my back and my neck. It was just so exquisite. Right. She was like hand fixing things. And I was you know, she was describing what she wanted to have adjusted. And I put that dress on and uh, we had all of the, the team at Prada fixing the green uh, Armani one while we were doing the Met Ball dress. So it felt incredibly glamorous. And I was obviously having the most extraordinary tailors, um, you know, people who probably helped build the dress in the first place, fix it and just make it exactly. And it was just, I never, I remember the green purse that they made for me out of the fabric that was the lining. And it was just, I wore a purple lip and my hair was kind of wet. And I just felt like a, I, you know, I hate the term badass when you used to describe a woman. It drives me fucking crazy. Can I say fucking crazy? On yeah. I just can't stand it. It's like only because it feels like it. Um, I'm probably going to get a lot of shit for saying that, but I'm not saying I don't like badass people. I do. I just feel like it's become this ubiquitous term to describe like every person who does one damn thing that they should be doing anyway. Right. We have to sort of anoint it or categorize it as badass because a woman's doing it. Right. Because I was I, gonna say there's a level it's it's somewhat patronizing, right? It's like yeah, the effort to sort of like commend it feels inherently gendered. Like right. you're complimenting it in a gendered fashion that it's like badass, right. but it's just like I prefer the term serve. And I think that was an ultimate serve. Now you. tell me this much. I mean, one thing that always confounds me about you know celebrities on red carpets is like so you're serving, right? Like you're in a dress, you're guaranteed to serve. And yet you have to step out onto the carpet and like deliver the serve, if you will, which is something you're so good at, but you're not acting, right? Like you're SCP in that moment. And yet you're like, you're, there's a camera present. You got to do something. You can't just stand there with your arms at your side. How do, do you have like an approach to how you handle the red carpet? It's just something that I think for so many of us, we don't experience. And yet we feel scot-free to comment on celebrities on the red carpets. Yes, that part is always really hard because on the one and hard, I don't mean like coal mining is hard. I mean, like that part is always a little confusing because on the one hand, you're having this celebratory moment. Look, you're there to promote a movie or a television program or something that may or may not work, but you put your, you know, a lot of effort into it and time spent, which is the main thing, you know, time in your life that you can't get back and experiences that you had with the crew and the cast. And it could be so, uh, such a celebratory evening that then gets just sort of like 
torn to shreds by everyone on the internet about what they don't like about what you chose to wear. So it's kind of a dirty, dirty business, that part of it, but it doesn't stop me from enjoying it. Um, that is true, but it does take a little bit of mental gymnastics to prepare for that. Holland says that I have a thing I do on the carpet, which I am unaware of. Um, although Jesse Tyler Ferguson once sent me a video of me doing a thing, like I almost look like a bobblehead doll. I'm doing some weird thing where I'm trying to look at all the people on the carpet. And somehow I end up looking like a bobblehead doll on the, on a dashboard. It's so bizarre. And I have seen this and I'm like, wow, I'm really doing a thing. And I didn't know I was doing a thing. And Holland has told me that like something happens when I get on the carpet where I become this other, and I don't notice it and I'm not trying to do it, but it's probably just a hard shell coming down over my soft wee little heart to like not get arrowed in the chest maybe that or that if it comes I'm like Teflon trying to mm. you know so I think there might be but it's completely unconscious and it's just probably a self-preservational mode I go into. I mean I think that's really interesting because there's no there's no training for that aspect of acting right it's like you can you can train you can learn the role and you can rehearse and you can meet with the director but red carpet the red carpet economy because it really is an economy it's a world unto itself so I appreciate the level of self preservation and I try to be increasingly thoughtful about the way that I talk about red carpets, um, always sort of with the mindset, I'm, I'm always learning how better to discuss things, how to be uh, more articulate, how to be more thoughtful. It's it's an ongoing, I don't wanna call it a battle, it's an ongoing sort of you know conversation I have with people. But I think that's a really, you know, that's a wonderful thing to be contributing to the thing you're putting out into the world. I mean, it's sort of just acknowledging that the way you frame it or, um, the words you choose to talk about, it doesn't mean you have to like it at all. I mean, I love this free to be you and me, everybody have your opinion, have it. Just think about the way it's being delivered because people do have feelings and, you know, some people don't give a shit. They're like, oh, please. It was a dress I put on. I don't care. Right. Other people have a vested interest in it. And other people, nobody likes to feel bad about, nobody likes, I mean, it goes back to that feeling in school of like, if someone's making fun of me or someone doesn't want to sit next to you at, at a lunch table, you know, and imagine if there's a megaphone attached to that um, experience, it, it's, it would be painful, I think for anyone really. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, I remember when you and I were chatting back and forth during the the Met Gala earlier this year, I often enjoy those private conversations with somebody else who cares in which we talk about the fashion more than I do like the public commentary because then you can have real like meaningful conversations about like, this is what I thought worked. This is what I think didn't. And again, often it's not really talking about the celebrity at all. It's talking about the outfit and did it work in that specific moment under that specific light with that curtain, with that step and repeat, you know, with that serve, you know, is it the right angle, et cetera. There's so many factors that have nothing to do with the person itself but oh can God. feel targeted. Totally. I mean, there are moments where I've walked on a carpet and the minute you see it and you're like, oh, wonderful overhead lighting for, and I know actresses who like won't go on, who won't do photo calls in certain areas because of the way the light will be. And it never occurred to me. And I was like, wait, that's a thing you can be like, no, I won't. Wait, I won't do that photo call in London on that particular, because of the light. Oh, good. To yeah, yeah, I was going to say. I like didn't know that you could say these things. Like, these are the things I've learned and picked up along the way. And believe me, when it's time to use it, I'm going to use it. Mm. But there are all kinds of variables that go into it. The color of the background, the color of the carpet, the way the sun, if it's a rainy day, I think the light that you had in your fitting room that you, you know, it just, it's a very, the whole thing can just go very awry. I understand. So we were talking about the Ocean's 8 red carpet. I do want to ask you something. I mean, it's called Ocean's 8. Um, mm -hmm. And many people felt like it was called Ocean's 8 because the hope that it would be another trilogy, 8, 9, 10, leading us to 11, 12, 13. Um, has there been any conversation about an Ocean's 9? Um, I don't know. Not, no. No, 
no, no, no, I don't think so. I would love to do it personally because I love those women and um, we had a wonderful time together. I think, you know, it would probably have to be a story that would that would really make sense. My favorite thing was when the movie first came out, people coming up with who would be the, the nine. And that was really fun to sort of watch people uh, predict that. But I have heard nothing about that. So at this point, I'm like, I don't know that, can you, can you wait this long? I don't know that you can. I'm going to vote yes. But I, but I, I mean, hey, look at Anne just like that. I mean, we're picking things That's up true. over a decade later. So That's never true. say never. Can't get enough of Shut Up, Evan? I don't blame you. That's why you have to check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Shut Up, Evan, where you will be able to find advanced access to interviews, bonus episodes, video clips from the interviews, cut for time questions, and so much more. You don't want to miss out. I am fully committing to making the Patreon a much more robust experience for season three. So again, www do people say you know www.patreon.com forward slash shut up evan you have been afforded the opportunity and seized on it to play queer characters throughout your career from the other woman i'm so happy to be mentioning the other woman right now to carol to american horror sister. story what the other sister yeah oh my god that's okay i'm glad you're happy to be mentioning the other woman but it's called the other sister <laughs> not the other woman but listen, maybe it should have been called the other woman. And then it would no. have been about my character, but it wasn't. It was Wait, the other no. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> Take two. From the other sister to Carol to American Horror Story to Ratchet, among others, there's been a lot of conversation over the last few years about authentic queer representation in film and television. And I'm wondering what it's been like for you to play so many dynamic queer women in your work. So interesting. I, I wish I could say to you that there was um, a motive or a plan afoot in terms of me choosing those things, but that would be really dishonest of me. Um, I think what is honest is that I gravitate towards um, playing characters who feel um, multidimensional, multifaceted, and I have been lucky enough to play women who who are queer and who, um, and in stories that are often queer stories and um, and in the case of Ratchet, doing that with Cynthia Nixon, that was a very empowering kind of uh, thing that we were both aware of, of the snapshot of that, just on the face of it, if you know nothing else about it, and the, the, the power of real representation with, with, um, with a story that I think people, you know, at least people who watched it, and it seemed like a lot of people watched it, um, could, really, could really hook into and really care about. And that was very meaningful to both of us. Um, so, at the end of the day, I'm just happy to have had an opportunity to play dynamic, complicated, multifaceted, multidimensional characters. The fact that that part of my life and that part of human experience can be represented in a way that I can feel good about is um, meaning that it feels honest to me um, and that I have had a voice in um, shaping some of it when it felt me maybe not as authentic as it could or um, and Cynthia and I think certainly brought both of our um, full selves to that in a way that I think makes us both both happy. The oyster scene alone I mean the amount of times I find myself re-watching that scene in particular it's just um, acting I absolutely love it. It was so disgusting <laughs> because I don't eat oysters I think they're vile beyond, I can't, I hate everything about them. I hate 
everything about them. Cynthia likes them a great deal. Cynthia had real oysters. I had, uh, they made me like a weird mushroom that they cut in half and they put like a sauce on it and a thing to make. But even that, like after a while, and they kept bringing Cynthia fresh oysters. I'm going to use the, the, the term very loosely because we shot the scene for a very long time. Kept bringing them out. She ate them all. It was vile to me, but boy, boy, she committed dedicated actress. I am not because I did not eat a real oyster. Okay, fair. But I mean, I'm still going to give you that credit. You are you are a committed and dedicated actor. But I just want to shout out Cynthia Nixon, a incredible and ratchet. And for those of us watching and just like that, she is giving a performance. We have range. We have character development, a lot going down. We could talk about that for days, but we won't. Um, but let's talk about Carol for a moment. The definitive Christmas movie, a movie that <laughs> no doubt turned many people queer. I don't have a specific question so much as I want you to detail in order, every memory you have from casting to the film's release. I mean, literally, I went to the recent premiere um, of Nightmare Alley and, and Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara was there. And the whole time, all I could do was stare at the two of them and reminisce about Carol. I mean, I, I, Nightmare Alley, fantastic film, Guillermo del Toro, fantastic filmmaker. But Carol, Carol. Mm, Carol. Oh, it was such a beautiful movie. Todd did such a... It's, you know, talk about, you mentioned earlier the visual, you know, uh, as it pertains to a different piece, but, you know, there is something so potent and so evocative and so sensual about the lush beauty of that movie. And I'm not just talking about the two women who are at the, the center of the story, but just, it was, it was, it was shot with like, almost like just through, through like sheer velvet or something. It just mm -hmm. is so beautiful. Um, and their performances are just, you know, I get, let's just say I understand why everybody <laughs> really loves that movie. And I also understand why people want more of Abby and why, you know, there should be a sequel. I completely agree that the Abby and Carol story would be a wonderful story to add to Todd's, you know, um, wonderful filmography. And I think I should email him now and ask him to get on that. Yeah, I, I am going to co-sign that. I mean, yeah. that would be... Uh, important. It would be great. It was a yeah. really, uh, that was my first time working with Kate. I've worked with her three times. So that's, um, makes me very cool. I don't know if you know that. Um, but if you work with Kate Blanchett once, you're just already the coolest cat in town, but I've got three. So that sort of just ups the ante for, yeah. just in my world mentally for my head. Um, but I do remember meeting her for the first time on the carpet of the first Oscars I went to, which was for 12 years a slave. Um, and she stopped me on the carpet. And you can imagine, uh, this was the night she won the Oscar for Blue Jasmine. We were leaving to go shoot the movie in about a week to do Carol. I was so excited that I had another job, much less that I had another job on something with such an extraordinary filmmaker and two of these ex exceptional actresses. Um, but the fact that I'll just never forget like her touching my arm and sort of saying in that you know, inimitable voice of Kate's uh, that I cannot, I cannot impersonate because she has this magical hybrid of this Australian British accent, sort of also uh, sprinkled with some American. Um, so I, I just am not talented enough to do it. But, and she's very tall and she's wearing high heel shoes and she just, you know, is a superstar creature, woodland creature, magician, magical, you know, it's just like not, it's just not right. Uh, intergalactic megawatt, mm. just, just just more than you can bear. But the fact that she knew my name and knew who I was and said lovely things about looking forward to working with me on a night when she, like, it just, I'll just never forget it as long as I live. And now she's just boring old Kate to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> now I'm just, you know, but uh, it was a really, really remarkable uh, experience. And I had a wonderfully fun time with Rooney too. She was, you know, she has such a, a wonderful stillness as an actress, but she is such a delightful kind of a brilliant person. Um, so it's wonderful, wonderful experience all around. And always just a wonderful film to revisit. I feel like it's one of those films that it's just uh, upon rewatch, you always get more and more, not only from the film itself, but from the performances. And I know we talk a lot about chemistry and blah, 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 but like those two actors, and actually not just those two actors, you as well, like the chemistry amongst this cast is just, it's really worth doing a deep dive on, which hopefully we will do one day. Um, you have a very rabid and passionate fan base, right? <laughs> um, to say the least. I mean, it, I don't. I mean, I don't know how much you go on Twitter these days, but Twitter holistically is a fan of SCP, <laughs> and I'm just wondering what it's like to see these gifts and performances pulled out of context and then basically deified. And I just want to point out, um, you brilliant. I thought you brilliantly took this clip going around on TikTok, which my friend had to tell me about. It's the he's escaping, the killer is escaping. And you kind of uh, put your you put your footprint on it. You know, you you took back the night, if you will, uh, from that uh, clip. But yeah, I mean, I'm constantly seeing Sarah Paulson content on the timeline. You know, I myself, I'm making 16 square little grid posts. Hmm. Um, and so I'm just wondering, uh, what is that like? Is that does that get ever feel normal? Is it always weird? You know, it's weird. What's weird more is um, I have friends who are like, if I have one more, like a friend of mine who's on Twitter is like, if I have one more of your fans with like all the avatars that are on my timeline are of your face and it's weird. And that is uh, strange. Uh, and also, you know, I, I have to say, I, I'm so delighted that that anybody gives a shit about, about my uh, work and that they feel so passionately about it. And, you know, it's a lovely thing to have a group of people who, sort of see you and are excited for the work that you're doing. And um, I'm always delighted by it, except for if it gets a little bit, um, you know, the demanding part where sometimes it's like, you know, I demand you to, you know, sanction my tattoo. So my mother won't, you know, and it's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to sanction the tattoo of my face you got on your body. I just can't, I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm just saying, I'm not going to say, I love it because I just can't, I just can't do that. I just can't. And then they get mad sometimes I don't respond, but um, it's a really, it's a lovely thing to have, to have, you know, fans. It's lovely. I get it. And one of the great things about uh, your range of projects is that we just get this fantastic range of wigs, which I know you've discussed before. I mean, you are famous for a lot of things. And one of those things is just a triumph really of wigotry, if you will. And I'm wondering, is there, I mean, I guess Marsha Clark comes to mind, um, but I'm wondering, but Linda Tripp can be up there too these days. Is there a wig for you that you hold the most reverence for? Uh, the Linda wig is up there because the Linda wig kind of, uh, once I decided uh, which mannerisms of Linda's to, to use, you know, she, she Linda was a wildly uh, avid blinker. She blinked so much. And I thought if I do that, that might be really tiresome really quickly and hard to, it, it might be, you know, over a 10 hour period, a little bit much. So I was like, what can I, and she did this thing with her hair all the time, you know, it's always tossing it back in the way she, so the, the wig for me was 
paramount that it be right. Uh, and there's a woman I work with named Michelle Saglia, who's been doing my hair on Horror Story for a long time, but she did Run With Me. She did- um, Fantastic film, fantastic yeah, film. She did a great, great wig on me. That was actually my Bird Box wig that she did Bird Box. We took my Bird Box wig, brought it over to Run, used it there. It was great. Um, she did Ratchet With Me. Um, she did not do Mrs. America because she was still shooting. But, you know, we- uh, she's she's been my collaborator and she's 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 the greatest so I love the Linda wig the ratchet wig was not my favorite wig it the hairline was not my favorite um it was too straight on the side people who made the wig was not my choice who made that wig and it didn't have any of this like detail of like hi it goes in here it was like Ree! every time I saw it I'd get mad but there was nothing I could do about it, it had a little more hair in it than I'd like Fair. Um, but really just a uh, wonderful wig work. I mean, I, unfortunately there is not an Academy Award category for wearer of wigs, which I think is important. Um, but I do just want to mention real quick for anyone out there that hasn't seen Run, I'm always kind of looking for like a good thriller. And I feel like it's oftentimes hard to find. And oh my God, Run, that scene towards the end with the with the, the man that keeps coming over to the house and, and he takes the kid and then you pull up in the car and, and she's waiting. Oh my God, fantastic movie. Um, one of our biggest back and forths on Instagram is you and I discussing, dissecting, um, taking in The Real Housewives, of which I think it's fair to call both you and I super fans. Yes. What first got you hooked on Housewives? And then when did you know that this wasn't just entertaining, but a culture for you? <laughs> well, uh, I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing. I was flying to New York uh, to visit my partner at the time, who's Cherry Jones, uh, and we were uh, sort of by coastal living for a minute. And I was flying on JetBlue out of Long Beach constantly back and forth to New York. And that was when the Real Housewives of Orange County was debut. I mean, it was the beginning of it all. And so I'm the family van. I'm a terrible, terrible flyer. And uh, I really hate it. And it, I watched four episodes and then I was there and it was just like, what is this show? I couldn't get wait. It could not wait to get on my flight to watch it. Um, and that's sort of how it began was this very innocent sort of get me through my, my flight to New York. And, and it was incredibly entertaining and it was probably New York, um, which I've been with from the beginning, from the very first uh, frame, from the moment it was shared with, with all of us, um, I, I was there, man. Um, that was the first time where I thought, oh, this world, this, this universe, this, this um, it's for me. It's yeah. for me. And I, I am here for it. I'm, I use, you know, and people ask me a lot and Holland is one of them and anybody I've ever uh, known, um, romantically has always been like, I don't, I don't understand this part of you. This part of you is very confusing to me. It doesn't line up with all the other, you know, and I don't, for the longest time I was like, is it because I want to play them? Am I, you know, and I think, I think I'm just, I think I just really enjoy it. I don't know what to say. It might be as simple as um, I am very interested in human behavior. And I know a lot of people and people will always argue with me. They, they think it's all fake. And I think if it were fake, these people could all win Oscars in ways that like, you know, they're better than any actor I've ever seen. It's not, I'm not saying that someone doesn't say, uh, Erica Jane's going to call you, answer the phone. This, this, you need to be available. We're filming today, Erica. We're going to film a phone call. Okay, camera's on Erica. So they're not saying, uh, we do want you to talk about uh, what's going on with the court case, but they don't tell them what to say. I love it. I don't know what to tell you about it. I love it. I'm here for it. I'm up to date on Salt Lake. I, 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 I want to continue our conversation about the fashion because I had a real thought about something that uh, Lisa Barlow was wearing actually the other night. 
that I was really into in a weird way. Uh, maybe I wasn't into the the color was a little, but the the vibe of the big blazer and the baggy jean and the thing I was into it. Right. Um, every once in a while, I get a little into what Lisa Barlow has on. Not yeah, I don't no. want to wear it. I don't want to wear it, but I'm like, it's not. It's not. Yeah. You know, I find it interesting, all this, this discourse around and just like that. And this idea of like, you know, we do not see women in their fifties and sixties enough on television series. And all I think about is a show like the Real Housewives of New York, which features women in their fifties and sixties that are dynamic and interesting and complex and compelling and all the things. And I'm not saying we don't need, and I, and, and, and just like that hard tongue twister. I'm not saying we don't need it like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying we don't need it, but I, I do think that sometimes people don't uh, give these series enough respect, also in the sense of like keeping the plot moving. I know for me, uh, it was Roni season three. It was actually the Bethany and Jill, the disillusion of their friendship. And there's that scene with Bethany outside in the red dress by the car, blues upstairs with Jill trying to sort of like, they're trying to broker this friendship. And I just was, that was the moment when I knew that this show could do more, that this show could be episodic, that this show could really like carry a plot over and not give like multi-episode arcs, but actually give season long arcs. And if you look at like this past season of Beverly Hills, for instance, with Erica, to me, the shows operate at their best when you have this sort of like overarching plot to like carry us through. I think that's right. And also I think it actually asks the audience to sustain something and their interest beyond just a something resolving at the end of an episode. You know, although sometimes I find that what they do is they will tease something out that is not that interesting or viable. <sighs> and I'm like, don't try to turn this. This isn't a story. Yeah. This isn't the thing I care about, but, but that is not the case so far on Salt Lake and in uh, Beverly Hills this year for me was, you know, New York was a little, I don't know where, you, I mean, we just, we, we pretended that does not exist. Um, speaking of which, uh, not one, but two housewives uh, wanted to uh, call in. And so here's our first question from the lovely Carol Radziwill. Really? Hi, Sarah Paulson. It's Carol Radziwill. And my question for you is, if you saw your friend's partner out to dinner with another woman, but we weren't sure if it was romantic, would you tell your friend or would you keep quiet? That is the dilemma. And also, I am still shook over your portrayal of Linda Tripp. I mean, what the actual F? That was maximum level acting. I mean, I'm speechless. You are amazing in that role. I mean, so amazing, I'm worried. Um, anyway, the, that's not a question. But the first one was the question, what would you do? Would you keep mum or would you tell? Lots of love. What a angel, thank her. To, I have to, well, I'll send her a message, but I thank her for saying that about my performance. That means a lot to me. Um, so is she asking me if I saw a partner of mine or another? No, I believe it was a friend of yours and they're cheating on their partner. They're out with or, someone else. Or they're out with someone else and I, and I don't know if it's romantic or not. Right. Would I say it? Do you tell the friend? Do you tell your friend that you saw their partner? Yes, I do. I think, yeah. I do. I would say it by saying, I saw so-and-so out with this person and I'm assuming that it's not a thing, but I feel weird because did you know that this was happening and do you, do you, are you okay? Yes, I would, I would tell. That makes sense. Before we continue, let's take a quick break and hear from some of our sponsors. 
Can we talk about Sunday Riley? Not only is it the name of not one, but two of my favorite Buffy the Vampire Slayer characters, it also just so happens to be one of my favorite skincare brands. Sunday Riley uses advanced, clinically proven ingredients blended with balancing botanicals for non-irritating, fast-acting formulas. Just because the end of times might be near doesn't mean you can't have great skin. Some of my current obsessions include their global best-selling Good Genes All-in-One Lactic Acid Treatment, CEO 15% Vitamin C Brightening Serum, and their Autocorrect Brightening and Depuffing Eye Contour Cream. As a person with notoriously puffy eyes, the last one is a really saving grace. If you want to visibly improve the look and feel of your skin, look no further than Sunday Riley. Sunday Riley is available at Sephora and Sephora.com. And we are back. Our next one, it's actually a video, so I'm gonna hold it up because this housewife insisted on making a video. Sarah, it's Dorinda Medley here at Bluestone Manor, and I have a couple of questions for you. Question number one, do you like my Christmas tree? It's a candy lamp theme. Let me know. Question number two, when are you coming to Bluestone Manor? Question number three, and this is the tricky one. Out of all the Real Housewife franchises right now you're watching, which one is your favorite? Happy holidays. I love Dorinda's like performance of her questions. It's incredible. It's so good. I love this woman. I love this woman. I love this Dorinda. I'm telling you, I do. I love her. I miss her on the show. I feel that it's a huge disservice not having her there. I've said this from the beginning. I don't like that she's not there. Okay. So here's my thing. Uh, I love your tree. She sent me a picture of this tree on Instagram. Um, I love this tree. I love this tree with a passion. It's like my vibe totally. I also want to eat it because uh, all I care about is candy. Um, number two, when am I coming to Bluestone Manor? I don't believe I've received an official invitation. So if that was my official invitation, then let's work on the dates um, sometime in the spring. This is my opinion, but I would love to come. Um, and then the third question is of the franchises that are current, nothing's currently on, right? What's on? Uh, no, we have Salt Lake City on right now. Uh, we have Orange County on right now. And I don't want to hear for Orange County anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think those are the two currently in rotation. We've got Jersey on the docket. You know, I fall, I fell off Jersey. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, yeah. I fell off Jersey. I mean, I love you all, but no, it's not for me right now. Um, because I miss, we talked about this. I miss Caroline Manzo. I just do. Same, same. I miss her. No, but I feel like we're aligned. Like we're Salt Lake City girls. I'm a Salt Lake City girl. So right now, uh, that is where my love lives, lies, is currently beating. I watched an episode last night. I'm never happier when I'm on my couch with a new episode of A Real Housewives show on the on to watch. It's my favorite thing. Oh, um, you know what else is in rotation right now is Miami. Have you ventured uh, down no, to Miami? Were you the one who told me about going down to Miami? Are you no, we haven't discussed it yet. Worth it? Uh, should I venture to Miami? Try it out and let's discuss. I'm I'm willing to go down the road, like, down this road a little bit more, but I wasn't immediately like immediately oh. back in. But someone told me that what you could do is watch every reunion. Of, a, of the first season of the show, it will basically give you all the highlights of everything that actually mattered. And then you can decide whether you're in for the next season. No, you need the pool party from season two of Miami. Okay. The famous pool party okay. is epic. Okay. It's the moment, it was like the table flip for Miami, but unfortunately the audience just wasn't there. Okay. Anyway, we could okay. go long about how, oh, go ahead. Okay. Well, what was I gonna say? Oh, Salt Lake City, that's what I care about. I care about Salt Lake City, I care about it so much. Every single one of those women is, they're so, we got a lot of 
we got a lot of like um incredibly uh uh what is the word front-footed women <laughs> a lot of retiring uh ladies on that on that show i like that front footed women little out there yeah. okay a september headline read sarah paulson says season 10 of american horror story will quote probably be her last which as you know sent shockwaves through the orbit uh i'm wondering what led you to that decision and i imagine it must be easy to say yes to another go when you have a franchise as successful as this one um yet something must have compelled you to potentially step away um where's your head at with uh horror story at present uh, it's so funny it, that that got like pick up in a, in a way. It really I, did. Because what I said was like, I don't, I think it will be my last one. And then I said, but then the minute he calls me with an idea, I'm always right, like, like so excited. So it's like, I really didn't, but media, I, they do, they're going to do what they're going to do. Um, where's my head at? It, that show is, uh, I have it, it to thank really for my, the, really for my career. I mean, it's how like everything started to take a, a turn in a direction that was, that was uh, led to more opportunity for me. So it's hard to say never to that one. I did, I did take a year off. I did Mrs. America during the um, 1984 year and did not, did not participate in that season. So I think the great thing about horror story is like, you're there when you can be there. You're not there when you can't be there. You're there, you're there, you're not, you're there. And that I think is a kind of beautiful thing. So I will never say never. And, you know, uh, it, it will always have feel like a home to me. And I feel incredibly lucky to have been, been part of it. It's almost like you could be like the Kathy Hilton of horror story, which is kind of like you're present, but you're not like officially like on board. So you can kind of vacillate in and out as you see fit. I mean, I kind of like thinking of it that way. I just sort of feel like never say never and you never know. Yeah. I know this is like a, a tough question, but do you have a favorite memory from filming AHS or is there a moment for you? I'm particularly interested like in the early years before it was yeah. the phenomenon. Um, yeah. That was just really fun that stays with you. There's so much. Jessica Lange was my absolute acting idol uh, as, a, as a young woman. And so we did a play together in 2005 called The Glass Menagerie on Broadway uh, that was much maligned, but we became very good friends. And it's really how I found myself uh, working on, on Horror Story because she was already doing it. Um, so my stuff with Jessica will always hold a very particular uh, place in my heart in terms of like, I think, um, and I've talked about this before, but like, you know, actors, when you're not working, it doesn't mean you're not capable of doing great stuff, right? It doesn't mean that at all. But the you get better when you're doing just like anything else, right? And so that was my first experience of getting to do something really meaty day in and day out. And so I felt like I was sort of learning as I was going how to act uh, in a way that was uh, in a sustained way, in a way that felt fulfilling and exciting. And it was also because the stories were so, you know, the, the, especially the early seasons of that show were they were Baroque almost and, and um, just really, um, I don't know, it's just a, a, a very stylized, hyper, uh, real world to, to live in and I'm incredibly imaginative and it meant you could take really big swings and it would still be it would still work in the world you know um, and that was a really kind of exciting place to sort of feel like I was getting my feet really wet as an actor uh, and to be with Jessica 
who I had always admired and to spend all that time doing all this emotional stuff. Um, but some of the, like the most delightful stuff was like in that first season when I, when I only did three episodes where I played the psychic Billy Dean. And uh, one time we were doing a scene, I've told this story before, and there was a fly buzzing around because we've been doing a scene with Thaisa Farmiga where her dead body was found and there were all these flies they bought in, brought in and they didn't use CGI. There were real flies everywhere. And it was like days later and these flies were buzzing around the scene. And of course it makes a noise with sound. And Jessica in the middle of doing this scene where I had to say, all the craziest shit like Croatoan and you know the back in the day and the just it was just like an impossible monologue I had and she and I have a laughing problem we had a laughing problem on a Broadway stage we had a laughing problem on set together we had a delightful in school school girl giggle town really get in trouble ruin the day running out of time uh laughing problem which only made it worse and she a fly was buzzing I was in the middle of doing my you know emoting Croatoan she's like went like this for a fly it was dead. She threw it at me and it went down my shirt. So I had this dead fly down my shirt. I, we laughed so hard that like, I, you know, I don't even know if we ever recovered or if we ever were able to continue the scene, but, and that stuff. And then also when we were in New Orleans, season three and four, um, it was all Jessica who wanted to go there and Ryan was thought it would be a great idea. And that's how Coven was born and, uh, you know, doing, you know, working with the, the space of New Orleans and using all that uh, witchy goodness. And we got to live there and I was away from home and, it was just a, it all has those first four seasons in particular are very, very special to me. And, and in large part due to my, my time with Jessica, for sure. I remember when we had uh, Zachary Quinto on last season, um, he mentioned that you were like quite a jokester on set uh, in a great way and sort of, sort of taking, cause that was a very dark season. Asylum is like dark. And uh, was it challenging for you ever? Like, did you have to sort of find mechanisms with which to sort of like alleviate the, um, the heaviness of the work. You know, I'm one of those weird people that I like the heaviness of the work. I love coming home. I used to anyway. I loved coming home and having my forehead be sore from crying, crying at work, you know, uh, and, and because I had to, it was my job. Uh, I love that feeling of waking up on a Saturday morning, being really tired from a long work week. It, it was like, the thing I dreamt about my whole life and I was getting to do it. And it was almost like my exhaustion and the, the, some of the darkness that we were living inside made it feel like undeniable that I was getting to do the thing that I loved because I felt so depleted and tired. Now that I'm older, I feel a little less that way. And I'm, I'm more like, you don't want to do that sad scene where I have to cry. I used to love it. It used to be my favorite thing. And now I just like, can we do a scene where we're all just drinking and put real booze in my cup? Thank you. <laughs> I'm at that point. I feel that. About me. Okay, two last questions before I let you go. In mm -hmm. 2017, you were named as one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time Magazine. That's fucking incredible. Can you name someone that would be on Sarah Paulson's most influential people in the world list? Oh my God, dude. Um, sorry, that is, um, um, that's why I said someone, someone, cause it yeah. can't be the only one. Cause no. there, are, there are 99 there are, others uh, as Gaga taught us. There can be 99 people in a room. Uh, I love her so much. She's the most delightful person on planet earth. I love that photo of the two of you from the 2017 L woman of the year. And she's in the Marc Jacobs, the suit, and it's you two staring at each other, just smiling, yes. beaming. Yes. 
she's a she's a wonderful person and a fucking great actress and i will kill anyone who says otherwise no one else would say it because yeah i was gonna say but... everyone agrees i'm not saying anything new but she's she's fantastic as a person as well and i hear she can sing she can sing sort of it's weird yeah I mean, she should she should consider cutting an album or something she should um she should um for me it's uh jenna rollins <sighs> so, yeah uh she like jessica um and but because i never i haven't met jenna rollins and i have no personal uh relationship with her so the whereas with jessica it became much more human uh you know, she jessica didn't become she wasn't just this like person who influenced every sort of acting choice i ever made or ever hoped to make or career i i hope to have or emulate uh she's just become my friend Jessica, which is its own sort of beautiful thing. Whereas Jenna remains for me this, um, I mean, I have, I have photographs in my home of her and Cassavetes that I, that I um, cherish beyond measure. It's just, she's just, she's an actress that, that just makes me believe in acting and the power of it and the resonance of it and how it can, uh, I really do believe this and I could probably get crucified for saying this, but you know, I think it can improve the human experience watching a great performance because it just makes you feel, I think it's particularly the time that we're living in now, the isolation and, and the feeling, the existential loneliness that I think we all feel and the ultimate reality of you come in and out alone and how, you know, no matter how much love you have in your life, there is this, this kind of thing in the back of your mind where you're always just, you know, the aloneness component is a really potent one. And when you see a performance that makes you feel seen or understood or that the experience you're having is not um, an oddity, you know, and there is something so uh, worthwhile and valuable about contributing to the world in that way. So, you know. I couldn't agree with you more. I just watched Call Me By Your Name for the first time. And I know. And Timothy Chalamet's performance and that character, I mean, I'd read the book before, but like that to what you're speaking to, I kept imagining had younger me seen mm. this movie mm. at a time when I needed this movie, how much my, the trajectory of my life might have changed mm. had I felt less alone in this world and seen that character. What kept you from watching it all this time? I can't explain it. Something, it's something deep inside. I, I resisted that movie. And I think it's because I had an inkling that I would have that it would stir me yeah. in the way that it did. But now I'm glad to have been stirred. What yeah. a fucking movie. Actually, when you were talking about Carol earlier, there are a lot of parallels for me between Carol and Call Me By Your Name in that as you, when you watch them as queer people and you see queer storytelling at this fucking level where it's not just like a story about gay people doing gay shit. It's so much more. And no disrespect yeah. to that. Those stories are maybe important to some, but like, a nuanced gay story, we don't get a ton of them. And when we do, you want to hold on to them. And, and yeah, so I completely agree with you. Okay, my last question. I want to wind down by talking about the great Holland Taylor. I don't want to pry, but if you wouldn't mind indulging me by telling me one of the things that you love most about her, because you, I'll tell you what I love most about you two real quick, but you guys do these Instagram lives together from time to time. And just getting to see you both and how much you love one another, it's really, it's really heartening. Um, it makes me happy just even talking about it right now. So enough of me though. Is there anything that you you can share about this this great love that you have? Um, I I think the the most um, what would be the word? 
important. That feels too small. Um, Holland is the wisest person I know, um, mixed with the sort of most wry and funny and um, sensitive and kind and terrifyingly smart, uh, soulful person on the planet. So I just feel like I really got very lucky to have a person in my life who uh, is all of those things and who um, really, quite frankly, the, the, the largest, the, the sort of most significant uh, piece of the story is that she puts up with me. She tolerates me. And I'm a lot, Evan. I am a lot. I'm Sarah Catherine Paulson. And it is a lot over here, kids. It's a lot. It's what you imagine it would be. And, and then some. It's a lot. Um, so she she puts up with a lot. But there is a, um, you know, and sometimes I think there is something about any relationship that if you were to really try to describe why it works or what its value is to you, I don't have the words to describe the why. It just is, you know, I just love her. That is just the way it is. And there is no, I could list all of the reasons why she's an extraordinary person, but they're not the reason why it is what it is between us. It just is. And if I, you know, could explain it, maybe I would be a great poet or something, you know, but I ain't. Indeed. Um, Beautifully said. Um, I want to thank you real quick. One last question. The Sondheim tattoo lyric, I should have asked earlier. What is the Sondheim tattoo lyric that you have? It's from Sunny in the Park with George from the song Moving On. Anything you do, let it come from you, then it will be new. I didn't put give them more to see because yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I didn't put that because I thought. No, that's the, you got the end quote. But also like, does it make it seem like I'm saying, you, Sarah, remind yourself to mm. give them more to see like you're some, uh, you know, messenger from I'm like, no, no, no. That part feels a little, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. I'll add it later. But right now it just felt a little. I highly recommend the 2006 off-Broadway cast recording. Maybe it's 2008 or something. But if you oh, search Sunday in the Park, you'll get the original Broadway and then you'll get the fabulous Jake Gyllenhaal, Annalie Ashford uh, version from several years ago. Also fantastic. But there's a third soundtrack that is available online that I think everyone should seek out there. Just it's the Ooh. UK production that transferred to Broadway. Phenomenal. Yeah, I didn't see that one. I remember, I remember that was at the roundabout, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it was at the roundabout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Profound. Changed my life. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. I just want to end by saying thank you so much. I think one of the things that I take away from you and I take away quite a lot from you is uh, you're just so kind. You're really, really kind. And I believe in kindness and goodness. And though we don't know each other, I feel this kinship with you and we share a lot of interests and opinions and you taking the time to do this amidst your busy schedule is very meaningful to me. So I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I just, I thank you. Oh, I'm so, so happy to have done it. I adore you and thank you. Thank you for having me. I really mean it. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Oh, shut up. Evan, shut up. Shut Up Evan is hosted by me, Evan Ross Katz, and produced by Ryan Killian Krause with distribution via Acast. Special shout out to Alden Peters, Matt Storm, Sean Ross, Hank Kelly, and the myriad others who have contributed their talents past or present. For more Shut Up Evan, binge seasons one and two, and become a subscriber on Patreon for bonus episodes, never before seen clips, and more. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.